Um, we've been on a uh, series, I, I guess you would call it a series, I never intend to get on series, but I did this time, um, end up on one, and, and I started out with a thought process about all the things we do to the gospel, to dress it up and make it attractive, and we do that we, from time to time, so I kind of got my mindset back on just the simple gospel. Just want to talk about and preach and teach on the simplicity of the gospel. God's word is enough. Just the way he wrote it, just the way he presented it, it it's enough by itself. And to get back to the basics of that gospel, and I started off talking about believe, the word believe, and, and what salvation is required. Now, we make a mistake, a lot of times as Christians, we make the mistake of believing that that salvation is a one-step, all-at-once process. And it's not. Believe, as a matter of fact, and this is where I thought I would be preaching this week, so you may hear this at another time. For two weeks, as a matter of fact, this is what I've been preaching in my mind and preparing myself to preach is what I'm fixing to tell you right now. Believe is an action word. Believe is an action word. So it's more to it than just saying that I believe. And, and, and all for two weeks, because last week we had an outstanding message. I had no idea that the guy was a preacher when I talked to him about coming down here. He's pastored for years and years, and it was obvious he's very comfortable with God's word. And he was a, an outstanding speaker. And he preached a message on compassion that if you didn't hear it, I advise that you take advantage of our multimedia stuff and go back and listen to that message that Mr. Uh, Greg preached. It was amazing. And it was right in line with what I've been talking about. Knowing they were coming, I knew I had two weeks to prepare for this week. And I spent two weeks Man, I've, I've read over scriptures and looked at things. Believe is an action word. I've looked up definitions of believe, and I had all this ready. When I sat down yesterday to put my notes together, none of that made it to paper, as oftentimes happens. I guess I didn't preach the fire out of that for two weeks, so I needed something different, God said. So instead, we're going to talk about a lot of different things this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. The scripture that God has showed me has a lot of different things in it. But our main thing that we're trying to get this morning is encountering Jesus causes change. Encountering Jesus. If you, if you have encountered Christ and remained the same, you didn't encounter the same Christ I did. Because encountering Christ causes change. Every time it takes place, it causes change to happen. Believe is an action word. Don't forget that. That's out there this morning for some reason. I'm going to be reading from the book of John chapter 9. John chapter 9, 1 through 7. And, and it's a pretty, um, pretty interesting story. And like I said, there's a ton of things in here to cover um, and I'm not going to try to cover all the details of all of them. We're going to kind of touch all of it as we go and keep in the mindset that our whole point is simple gospel. We're trying to stay with the simplicities of the gospel. 
salvation, although we talked about all you got to do is believe, and the scriptures say that, believe is an action word. And it's not a one-step, one-time, all-at-once process. It is, in fact, a process. It takes time. And we're going to look at those things. In John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray. Father and our God, we ask that you <coughs> excuse me, guide us through your word this morning, that you would hide me behind the cross and that everything that proceeds from my mouth would be of your desire and your will. Father, we thank you that we can gather together. We thank you that we live in a country where it's, where it's permissible for us to gather together and worship you, where we do this without fear for our lives, and we pray for those who aren't so blessed. We ask that you be with those that are gathering this morning under much harsher conditions, but appear to be with a much greater desire. Father, I pray for those that have fought and died, for those that have made the sacrifices that it takes to have the freedom to do this. I thank you for them. I thank you for their families. Pray that you continue to watch over them. Father, I pray for the leaders of this country this morning and ask that you would um, open their hearts and minds to your desire. Father, that they will make decisions based on who you are and not who they are. I pray, Father, for you to continue to be in the presence of all of our sister churches that are gathered together this morning, those that are struggling to, to keep the doors open, those, Father, that don't have a shepherd right now. I just pray for your, prevent, your hand to be upon them and to prevent them from quitting. To remember, Father, that it ain't about us, it's about you. We ain't going on our power, we're going on your power. Father, I pray this morning that your presence be felt and seen in our midst. That we be allowed, Father, to, to know that your presence is with us this morning. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who was blind from birth. This is someone that has never seen anything. Can you imagine being born with your eyes closed, and they never open? Can you imagine what you've missed out on if you're blind from birth, as this man was? Blind from birth. This isn't something that was taken away from him. It's a condition he was born with. Nothing he could do about it, right? 
He didn't get to pick who his parents were. He didn't get to pick whether he had sight or not. It's a condition he was born with. Nothing he could do about it. It's out of his control, right? I was born with my eyes closed to sin. So were you. And at some point, something has to happen that my eyes be opened to that sin, right? Something has to happen. Look at um, Ephesians chapter 2, 1, and three, 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> and I... Verses 1 through 3. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So who's exempt from being born blind to sin? Nobody. Nothing we can do about it. Just like the man who was born blind, I, I, there's nothing I could do about it. It's just the way I was born. When somebody says I was just born this way, you know what? They're right. And when they're talking about sin, they're right. But you know what? I was born a liar. I was born a murderer. Right? I was born a thief. Right? I was born an adulterer. But the whole deal is to overcome that to suppress self, to, to put the flesh to death and allow the Spirit to live in me. Not to just give in to it and just go, well, I was born this way and to continue to walk this world as a liar and a thief and a murderer and an adulterer. You're right, you were born that way. We all were. Nothing we could do with that. But look, this man had an encounter and that encounter brought about change. Verse 2. Now, we're going to get off of that for just a second. I don't want to just bypass what's taking place right here because as a part of the simple gospel theme, this is important because this is a question a lot of people have, and I want to try to answer that for them this morning. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, they had to have a particular mindset to ask that question. Because look at how they ask it. Look at how it's put out there. Who sinned? Him or his parents? So in their mind, in order for him to have this condition, sin had to take place, right? Do you realize that there are people in church this morning that still think that way? They still believe that if there is something in your life that looks like it doesn't belong, whether it be a physical ailment, a mental ailment, whatever, that sin must have taken place in order for that to be true. That's not true. Do those things happen as a result of sin from time to time? Absolutely. Absolutely. But does every trial that I face, is it a direct result of my sin? 
Is it a direct result of my mama's sin? It's not. As a part of the simple gospel, we need to understand that sometimes being in a trial is the opportunity for God's glory to be seen. Suffering is for God's glory. See, we get this belief that when we become Christians, everything's just going to be flowers and buttercups and roses and stuff. And everything's just going to be okay. And, and that comes from people like me telling, if you, if you just get saved, it all be okay. That's not, that's not true. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. There, there's going to be trial. There's, there's going to be hard times. There, there's going to be suffering. We're promised that. We're told that. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the world. Christ said that. Christ himself said that. The, these guys were his disciples and they were following Christ. And they see this blind man and they go, Oh my, who sinned, him or his parents? And what they're wanting to know is, How do we know? How do we know who did the sin so we know how to address the ailment this man has? Look at Christ's response. Jesus answered, Neither! <laughs> Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Neither, neither this man nor his parents. He's blind, and it ain't his fault, and it ain't his mom and daddy's fault. He's blind because God's going to get glory from his blindness. I've spent a lot of time picking on Sean McKittrick. But I'm going to tell you something. Sean McKittrick has overcome very poor eyesight, and accomplished a whole bunch of things. He, he did not allow the problems with his vision to stop him from doing now what God has called him to do. Now, he didn't spend his whole life understanding that God was making provisions and guiding him on this path. Now he gets that. And since he has encountered Christ, there's been change. Everybody that's got an ailment, it ain't there because of their sin. Everybody that's in a trial ain't there because of their sin. Of course, we can point back to Job. Is the first example that always comes to mind and see that. Job is described as an upstanding man. Job is described as a man of perfection. Yet great tragedy came to his life. Why? So God could be glorified. So God could get the glory. Look at 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. And again, I, I, had to, I had to cover this. I couldn't just run through this because this is a question that many people, an issue that many people struggle with. 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. In other words, don't, don't think it's strange that you're in a trial. Don't think it's odd that you're in a trial. Don't think this is special to you somehow. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. Look at verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 
If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Think of, think of what he's telling you as we read this now. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You know, suffering is bad anytime. Whether you're born blind or you have some kind of a physical ailment or, or it's a tragedy that takes place, suffering is exactly that, suffering. But as a Christian, there's purpose behind our suffering. For those in the world that suffer, there's no purpose. A lot of it they bring on themselves. It don't have to be that way. We have purpose to our suffering, and the purpose behind our suffering is to glorify God. That's Jesus' answer to these disciples when they asked, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Nobody. Neither sinned. This man suffers so that the works of God should be revealed in him. Verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Christ said, as long as I'm physically present here, I'm here to be the light to this world. Nobody can encounter Jesus and not be changed. We know that Jesus doesn't physically walk in this world anymore. But when he left, he left someone behind. When he left, somebody else came to take his place to be that light, to be that guide, so that we could have the same encounters that people physically had. Now we have those encounters spiritually. We have those encounters. And nobody can have that encounter and remain the same. If you have encountered the Spirit of God and remained who you've always been, you didn't encounter the Spirit of God. It's not possible. It can't happen. It cannot be that one can encounter Christ and remain the same. Remember, we're still talking about the simplicity of the gospel. This isn't, this isn't a great theological study that I've been through for months. This is the basics of the gospel. 
This is the basic truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you encounter him, change will take place. I, I didn't do this. I started to. I've, I've still got my, my little yellow note on it, but I, I didn't give them all to Nathan. I want you to listen to me. And I want you to think about these encounters with Christ. In John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, there's a paralytic man who encounters Christ. And Christ tells him, if you can only imagine what he would tell him, to get up and walk, right? Eventually he tells him to get up and walk. And what happens? A paralytic man stood up and walked. Did change take place in that man's life? <laughs> and what was the change directly due to? An encounter with Christ. That's, that's it. Look at here. In John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus comes upon this crowd. And in the center of this crowd is this woman. And, and people are standing around with rocks in their hands. And they grab Jesus and they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. And they say, this woman has been caught in idolatry. And the old law says anyone who's caught must be stoned. What do you say? And Christ kneels down. While they continue to talk. And while he was down there, he took his hand and wrote something in the dirt. A whole lot of books have been wrote about what people think Jesus wrote in the dirt. You know what he wrote? No, you don't. I don't either. <laughs> you know why? He didn't tell us. You know why he didn't tell us? Because it's not important. You know what's important? Is that after he wrote something in the dirt, he stood up. And when he stood up, he looked at the crowd. And he said, He who has not sinned may cast the first stone. Was that woman's life changed at that moment? What was the cause of the change in this lady's life? An encounter with Christ. I mean life changing. She's fixing to get stoned. And it's all changed. Keep going with me. John chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus feeds 5,000. Sometimes we see one person individually at a time get their life changed. Was those people's lives changed by the fact that they seen Jesus take a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish? Was it four lo five loaves and two fish, I think? And feed 5,000. That's 5,000 men. If you read that closely, that's just the 5,000 number is just the men plus women and children. You can do the math and guesstimate on how many people it really was. Either way, it wasn't enough food there to feed them. Were those people's lives forever changed because of that event? Sure it was. Absolutely it was. No doubt about it, it was. In John chapter 4, verses 46 through 63, a man comes running to Jesus and goes, you got to do something with my son. He's, he's sick. He's, he's bad. And Jesus sends the man away and told him, your faith was enough to do what needed to be done. Was that young man's life changed because of an encounter? Sometimes the encounter may be on somebody else's behalf. Right? Sometimes my encounter with Christ will have an impact on other people. Is there anybody in here that would say, don't do that, Nick, you're wrong. 
John chapter 9, 1 through 7, the blind man we're reading about right now, Matthew 8, 14 and 15, Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law is deathly ill. Jesus comes into the house and sees her, lays his hands on her. She's healed. Her life was forever changed because of her encounter with Christ. Matthew 8, 28 to 32. This is one of my favorite ones. This is the one I really had a hard time not going to. <laughs> Let's go look at that. Matthew chapter 8, 28. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When he had come to the other side to the country of... Uh, that may be why I didn't do this one. <laughs> Jergesens, Jergesens, somewhere like it. He was coming out of the country of Georgia. And there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. Now think of this, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Now, Jesus is, is coming out. These guys come out of the tombs. Where are the tombs found? Graveyard. These two guys come out of the graveyard where they've been living and they are so fierce that nobody is able to pass by there because these people are so, these two guys are so mean. They've got the way cut off. They're demon possessed. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, the Son of God? Have you come here to torment, torment us before the time? Now, that's, the, now that's the, the demon speaking to Christ, by the way. I won't go into that part of it, but that's what that is, is the demons are speaking to Christ. They see him coming. His authority over them is so great that they know he's there. And they go, uh-oh. We've kept everybody else run out from here, but it's about over with for us. Look at this. Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. Y'all know what swine are, right? Pigs. That wasn't nice, Tommy Lee. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled. What were they keeping? I learned this on Wednesday nights. I'm going to show you a little trick right here. It says, so them, those who kept them fled. Who are them? The herd, the swine. So the people that was watching over, the farmers, okay, if you will. And they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, look at this. And behold, don't miss this. And behold, the whole city came out. To meet Jesus. The whole city came out to meet Jesus. Now does that mean everybody in the city received and accepted? And No. No. But because Christ cast these demons out of these two men who had been living in a graveyard 
They had an encounter with Christ. He was going a way that everybody knew don't go that way. What does the scripture say? That, that he was coming up there two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. He was going in a way that not, nobody would go. And these two demon-possessed men that had been living in the graveyard come out and he cast these demons out and the, the, the farmers who owned the swine that the demons went into, when they jumped in the, in the sea, the farmers are out of a job anyway, so they go into the city and tell what they've seen. And because they told what they had seen and they told about an encounter with Jesus, what happened? The whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Now think of this. You know what that tells me? There's going to be time when I try to introduce somebody to Christ for their own sake. And what's going to happen? They're going to ask me to leave. They're not going to want to hear what i got to say. You need to know that. You need to know that a whole city came out to meet Jesus and the whole city rejected Jesus. Because there's coming a day when you're going to share your Jesus with somebody because when you have an encounter, if you haven't already, when you have an encounter, there's going to be change take place in you. And that change is going to fire you up to tell other people about that change. Look at all, if you go back and read all the, and y'all, listen, there's way more examples than what I gave this morning. That is not an all-inclusive list. It's a partial list at best of encounters that people had with Christ. If you'll go back and read about the encounters people had with Christ, you'll see that not only were they changed, but they were excited to let other people know about the encounter they had had. Now sometimes those people heard that encounter and received it and accepted it and more people got changed and sometimes like with the demon-possessed guys and the swine, the whole city come out to meet Jesus and they begged him to leave. That ain't on you. That ain't on me. See, it's my job to tell you about the encounter. It's my job to share the encounter with you. What you do with it from there, that's between you and God. I mean, that's just, that's just the basics of it. Verse 6. When he had said these things, now, now I want you to see this process. Man, this is, one of my, this is one of my favorites too. I got a lot of favorites in Scripture, but this is one of my favorites. I like the fact. I, wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground. He made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. You see that? He, he spat on the ground. Now see, earlier we talked about a story we didn't know what he did when he knelt down, right? We know this time he gets down and makes clay. And he takes that clay and he rubs that, that, that spit in that man's eyes. Jesus will use whatever is available to him to use at the time he needs it to make a change in your life. It may even be spit. And you may look at it and view it as spit. 
And you may look at it and go, don't put that nasty mess on me. You may look at it and go, you know what? I don't think I want to get close to that. Because Christ will use whatever's available at the time it's necessary. He got down, he made the clay. Now, I want you to notice something. He puts the clay on the guy's eyes. Did his eyes open right then? No, they didn't. No. See, this is one of the instances where the encounter with Christ required participation out of the blind man. He had to do something. He had to be obedient. He encountered Christ, and the the change is starting to take place. But look at this, what Jesus said to him. And he said to him, And go wash in the pool of, of Siloam. Go, go walk. Now you've got a part to do. He's had his Christ encounter. He's met him. As a matter of fact, he's wearing his spit on his eyes. They're getting pretty close pretty quick, ain't they? But he had to go. And he went away still blind, right? He's still blind at this point. He left blind. Then he went to the pool that he was told to go to and he washed his eyes and it says that he washed and came back seeing. But rest assured, his encounter with Christ caused change to take place in his life. If you've had an encounter with Christ and change didn't take place, you didn't encounter Christ. It's not possible. It's not possible. And don't ever believe that believe ain't an action word. Sometimes it requires you to do something. What if, let's rewrite this story and let's assume a few things, which is dangerous and I know that, but let's do it anyway. Let's assume that this man encountered Christ. Christ kneels down and puts the spit on his eyes, the clay made out of saliva on his eyes. And he says, now go and wash in the pool. And the man goes, okay. And he goes a different direction. And he really intends on going there, but he ain't got time today. And and he really believes with his his heart that that Jesus is telling him the truth. And as soon as he can get there, he'll get his sight back. But he decides that instead of going immediately, instead of doing it today, there's other things that are more important, and he goes and does those things. You realize he just went and did all that stuff blind when he didn't have to? You realize that all he had to do was go straight to the pool, get his sight back, and all that other stuff takes on a whole new meaning? Do you know how many of us are walking around with a blessing in a bag and we can't see it because we ain't washed a spit out of our eyes yet? Because salvation is obedience. It's not all at once. If you go back and read about the children of Israel coming into the promised land, they start getting some things, some commands from God. And he warns them of this and says, let's remove some of this. 
and let's remove some of this, and let's remove some of this. And although they were in the promised land, the full promise wasn't fully received yet. You know why? Because it required something of them. It required obedience on their part. It required them to do some things. Now, am I telling you this morning that salvation is earned? Absolutely not. No. No. I'm telling you that salvation is evident by works. I'm telling you that change is evident by response, not just because you say it. I can tell you all day long how much I believe that this stool will support me. And I believe with all I've got in me that this stool, if I sit down on it, will hold me up. And the whole time I'm telling you this, I'm walking around it. How do I prove to you that I, be that I believe what I say I believe? Well, I'm a little nervous about that because you know what? I've never sat on that stool. I've talked a lot about, about knowing that that stool will hold me, but I, I've never really tried it myself. I've never really climbed up on that stool myself. So what I'll do instead is I'll wander around and I'll, and I'll just kind of watch that stool and I'll pay attention to other folks. And, and eventually so I'll see somebody else climb on that stool. And believe it or not, because Montana believes that stool will hold her, I now am a little bit more confirmed that that stool will hold me. But do y'all see a problem here? I do too. A couple hundred pounds of problem in front of me. And although the things that I see come out in somebody else's life might not just exactly weigh out, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> to the things in my life, still watching somebody else do it builds my confidence in it. Until one day, I really have that encounter. And I really decide, you know what? There ain't but one way to find out. Y'all thought I was going to fall. <laughs> she, she went. <gasps> and I just climb up on the stool. And now, y'all think, y'all, everyone, some of y'all is going, man, it'd be so funny if that thing would fall right now. <laughs> Boy, if it turn him loose, that ain't nice. Don't be, Peyton, I know what you're thinking. If you'd have just known, you'd have took some screws out, wouldn't you? I know, I got you. I got you. Now, you can be confident that I believe what I said, right? Why? Because I did it. Because I did it. Listen. Believe is an action word. And an encounter with Christ brings about change every time. You can say you've changed. You can say you believe, but until you get out there and do it, ain't nobody listening to you. And you know what? Sometimes when you're unsure, just watch people around you. But I want you to remember something. <laughs> There's people watching you. And they hear what you're saying, but they believe what you're doing. You ain't sitting on it, but you talking about it, you hurting the kingdom. You ain't building nothing. Because believe is an action word, 
Every time, whether we're talking about stools or we're talking about Christ, believe is an action word. Every time. We as Christians have got to have some action in our belief. Now I want you to notice one more thing and then I'm going to quit. Verse 8. <clears throat> Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. And others said, He's like him. But they all noticed something. Whether they thought it was him or not, initially, they noticed something. What You know what they noticed? Remember, he was a blind man that sat on the corner and begged. Now they've seen him once he's gained his sight. You know what they noticed? Change. They noticed there was something different about him. The neighbors noticed the change that took place in this man's life because of his encounter with Jesus. When you have a change take place, your neighbors will notice. Your co-workers will notice. Your family will notice. And I'm telling you, if you've encountered Christ and remained unchanged, you didn't encounter Christ. Because it change always takes place when you encounter Christ. You can say what you believe all day long, but we know what you believe by how you, your actions, how you act, how you respond, what you do. Y'all stand. We're going to sing. I'm going to ask this fine praise team that we have to come up here and, and um, lead us in a, in a song. Well, I just pulled this one off of there. Going to come up here and lead us in a song of invitation. I encourage you to just respond by whatever means God has instructed you to respond. If, you, if you've never had that encounter with Christ, right now's the time. I promise you, you'll never regret it. But I also promise you, you'll leave here changed if you encounter Him for the very first time. I promise you that. Do not allow these opportunities to continually pass you by. Please, take advantage of the opportunity that God has given you if for the very first time, or you know what, maybe you have had that encounter and at first you noticed some change, but then you noticed you went backwards, now's the time to address that. Whatever your need may be, whatever it is that's on your heart this morning, I just ask you to come to this altar and address it as, you, as God sees fit. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.